I welcome you all on this platform. It's another time and I thank God for what he has been doing. Before we begin, I would like us to say a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful and we thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you've been doing. Thank you, Father, for the light of your word in our spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you've been teaching us. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word. We are grateful. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit teaching us daily from your word. We thank you, Father, for your word being revealed to our spirit. May your name be glorified. I pray, Lord, as we begin that your presence guide us, speak to us. Let your word, O God, guide us in the right path to follow all the time even as we carry out these tasks that you have entrusted to our hand as a church in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. We give thanks and praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So you are welcome once more. It's been an exciting time um, going through this series. And personally, I have learned a lot from the studies I have been doing so far just to meet up with... uh, Uh, each episode of this series and God has been faithful. We've been dealing extensively with a series I call Evangelism Made Easy and I felt at some point that there, there are some certain things that the church needs to know in order to pursue these tasks that God has entrusted to her. So in Evangelism Made Easy, you get to find a lot of exciting stuff such as how to reach people for Christ, uh, the the methods that are involved, the strategies, the tactics. And um, just like a few weeks ago, I talked about salvation, not in its entirety, but uh, we're able to touch one or two things. And God really helped us, okay? God really helped us. We, We talked about how a sinner gets saved, you know, when the church goes out for evangelism, when the church preaches the gospel. We talked about the ABCs of the gospel. We talked about a lot of stuff, okay? So I'm still referring you back to the previous episode that was covered, titled Salvation. You'll find it there on YouTube. And I would like you to listen and share and keep following to the glory and honor of God. So uh, today, Uh, I'm going to be starting episode 8 today and in fact, I have been preparing toward this. I have really been putting uh, a lot together just for this moment and I thank God that it's here finally. Okay, so uh, today I'm going to be talking about um, episode 8, okay, and it's titled Chain of Salvation. It's titled Chain of Salvation. We'll be noting some few points you know, basically the procedures that leads to the salvation of the lost. We'll be talking about that and also we'll be talking about um, how these people get saved eventually, okay? So it's very important, it's very important we pay close attention and I pray that God will help us all in the name of Jesus. As I begin, let me quote um, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I found a quote uh, that I felt it's very, very appropriate with what we are talking about. It's very, um, it's very good to the topic that we are discussing today, you know. And here's the quote. He said, if a man is saved, it is because God has saved him. 
But if a man is lost, that is to be attributed to his own rejection of the gospel and his own rebellion against God's way of salvation. Let me take it again. If a man is saved, it is because God has saved him. But if a man is lost, that is to be attributed to his own rejection of the gospel and his own rebellion against God's way of salvation. End of quote. You know, we'll be talking about these quotes as we proceed. We'll be talking about this quote. I just, I just wanted you to have that in mind, uh, to put your finger on that so that um, it will help reminding us as we proceed as well. So, like I said, I, I'm, I'm talking about episode 8 today and it's titled Chain of Salvation. Chain of Salvation. And today, I want to be talking about the processes that are involved, the processes that are involved in a person confessing Christ eventually, the procedures that are involved in a person saying, I believe in Christ. I want to, I, I want to place my faith in Christ. Uh, the, the procedures involved in a sinner saying, okay, I, I think I need this Jesus. I think I need this, this gospel. I, I want to believe this Christ. I want to follow. I want to be a follower of this God, you know. So, because a sinner doesn't just get saved. It's something, it doesn't just happen overnight. A sinner doesn't just get saved. So, that is, that is uh, what birthed this topic today the chain of salvation the chain of salvation okay so we want to answer a few questions that are paramount to the salvation of humanity we want to look at a few things that you know are necessary to the lost placing their faith in christ eventually and so i note i have already noted down some few things here which i'll be pinpointing as we go on okay so the question here is, does salvation just happen? Does salvation just happen? Some people believe it just happens. But the question is, does salvation just happens? Um, my anchor scripture is Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. However, for, for better understanding, uh, when you look at Romans chapter 9, when you look at Romans chapter 9, you, you find Paul, the apostle, talking about the nation of Israel, how they have been trying to, you know, have a righteousness that is based on the works of the law, a righteousness that is not based on faith in Christ, okay? And uh, when, you, when you study that chapter 9 down to chapter 10, you will discover in verse 1, of chapter 10 you find Paul praying for the nation of Israel and the prayer he prayed there is that my heart desire for Israel is that they may be saved the whole of Israel might be saved okay meanwhile in in chapter 9 in chapter 9 um, you find Paul talking about a, a, a little number of a small number of people of Israelite basically who may uh, somehow might have gotten the, the way right. However, a larger number of them were trying to keep the law and to pursue their own self-righteousness, the works of the law. And so Paul addressed this even as at a point if he knew that that was not God's plan for them. He knew that that was not God's plan for them. 
because he wanted the nation of Israel as a whole to be saved and God wanted that as well. Okay, so in verse 1 of chapter 10, he prayed that his heart desire for Israel is that they may be saved. And then he began to talk about few other things. So when you look at the beginning part of Romans chapter 10, verse in verse 1, it captures Paul's heart desire for Israel. The heart desire of Paul for Israel. And what is his heart desire? That the whole of Israel might be saved through faith in Christ and not just keeping of the law. Okay, not just the keeping of the law. He, he, uh, he praised them for having a zeal for God. However, that their zeal was not based on knowledge. Their zeal was not based on knowledge. He praised them for having zeal. They lacked the, the appropriate knowledge to approach God the right way. Okay, so they kept trying to be righteous and to get close to God through the keeping of the law, despite how they continued to break the law. Paul proceeded further to make them know that uh, in verse 9, in verse 9 of, uh, of chapter 10, he proceeded to make them know that if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But their believing and being saved are the end result of the processes that must have taken place leading to their salvation. So, as much as the lost can believe and be saved, that is not just the first thing. Some, some, some stuffs might have been put in place before somebody gets saved after believing in the gospel. So, Paul, having clarified to them that the law could not save them, but faith in Jesus, he went further to outline to the church the processes that must lead to them being saved. That's what we are talking about. Okay, he told them that is chapter 10 of Romans, starting from verse 11 down to verse 15. He began to outline to them the processes that must lead to the salvation of the lost eventually. And that is what I call the chain of salvation. That a sinner doesn't just wake up overnight and say, today I want to believe in Christ. A sinner doesn't just wake up overnight and say, today I want to place my faith in Christ. It doesn't just happen. That is why I asked us earlier, that does salvation just happen? Do people just get saved overnight? Do people just receive Christ overnight? Does it just happen? Okay, so that is what I call chain of salvation the procedures of salvation, the processes involved in a person uh, uh, confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. So there are four sects of rhetoric questions Paul the Apostle asked his audience in chapter 10, beginning from how a person can be saved, which served as a premise, okay? It serves as a premise to what I'll be talking about. If calling out to the Lord can lead to salvation. Now listen, if calling out to the Lord can lead to salvation, what are the processes that must take place before this happens? First of all, let's consider the premise. Okay, there is a premise in chapter 10 of Romans. I call it call and be saved. Sinner's part to play. Call and be saved. Sinner's part to play. So, Paul's general uh, summary leading to the series of questions served as 
a good premise and background for looking at each question closely in order to figure out how salvation finally comes to stay. Thus, it will be helpful to consider verse 13 of Romans chapter 10. So, verse 13 of Romans chapter 10 is the premise, is the bedrock I am talking about. That is the bedrock of the chain of salvation. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 10 is the bedrock or the premise I am talking about. And I read it. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a statement of fact. It's something that cannot be denied. We've seen it all over the Gospels, all over the Epistles. In fact, the, the, the Old Testament, the, the, the scriptures serving as a, the major background for all of this. Okay, people called upon the Lord and they were saved. In the Old Testament, people called upon the Lord, they were saved. In the New Testament, people called upon the Lord, they were saved. Okay, it could be the salvation of the soul. It could be the salvation of, uh, uh, of the body. It could be protection from the enemies as we saw in the Old Testament. But in, in this study, we are talking about the salvation of the soul. And here in Romans chapter 10 verse 13, Paul is saying, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the truth. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved irrespective of who the person is, irrespective of uh, whether Israel, as a larger part of Israel, who were trying to, to, to get closer to God out of their zeal that had no knowledge, uh, they were trying to get closer to God by keeping the law, irrespective of uh, any race of people, any color, uh, whatever tribe, or, or wherever, whichever denomination, you know, irrespective of all of that for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved so we we want to look at how this salvation comes about how does it come about so uh, recently i was studying uh, romans 9 and romans 10 and the lord began to open my eyes to to the truth of his word especially in regard to this okay that for a sinner to be saved, there are things that must have been put in place by God, by the church, and by the sinner himself. Okay, so the whole of these three entities have their parts to play to bring about the salvation of the lost eventually. That is what I am going to be looking at today. Okay, so Jesus saves everyone who takes time out to call out to him for salvation. That is true. And he does not cast anyone away from him. Jesus does not cast anyone away from him. He doesn't cast anyone away from him. He himself testified to this when he said in John chapter 6 verse 37. Let's read John chapter 6 verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And him who comes to me, I will not cast out. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And him who comes to me, I will not cast out. John 6, 37. But they can become his, you know, before they can become his, they've got to call. 
they've got to call before these people that Christ is talking about that all that the Father gives to me will come to me and those who come to me I will not cast away before they can become the people of Jesus officially they've got to call according to Romans chapter 10 verse 13 they've got to call and you see Paul let's look at that again you see Paul saying in Romans 10 13 for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved the person will be saved salvation will not be denied those who call upon the Lord the sinners who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation will not be denied salvation God has promised it already God has given them the promise already and it is certain to come when they call it is certain to come when they call so the word cause means to cry out the word cause means to cry out the lost the lost have to call they have to cry out to have the salvation that the lord promised them so it doesn't just come upon them no sinner sits in the comfort of his house and salvation comes upon him no sinner sits in the comfort of his room and salvation just takes over his life it doesn't just happen there has to be some procedure there has to be some process there has to be a chain leading to him being saved that is what i'm going to be talking about so before they call before they call before this the lost gets to call upon the lord for salvation we are still dwelling on verse 13 of romans 10 before the lost gets to call there are two basic things that must be put in place by them there are two major things that must be put in place by them before the lost make out a call before the lost call out to the lord for salvation two major things they must put in place you know, we, we, we talked about this extensively from our previous episode, uh, episode 7, talking about the ABC of the gospel. Okay, so from the ABC of the gospel, we talked about accept or to admit. And A standing for accept or admit. So before they call, every sinner must, must at some point admit that he or she is lost in sin and needs the gospel. That is why I say, does salvation just happen? Can the lost just stays in his or her comfort zone and salvation just happen to him or her? It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. The person must at some point in time realize that I am a sinner. I need Jesus. I am tired. I am fed up of this life. I need Christ. The ABC of the gospel is very important to a sinner, is very important to the lost. Okay, so before they call, the person has to accept. Before they call, the sinner has to accept. Do you accept that you are lost in your sins? Do you accept that Jesus can become your savior today? Do you accept that you have been serving sin, you have been serving the devil? Do you accept that you have been lost in the world? It is very important. It is very important. Every sinner has got to accept or to admit before they call. Before they call, they've got to do that. So that he or she wants a change of life and a turn. We see that in Acts 26 verse 18 that they may turn from the way of darkness and to light that they may turn okay so that he or she wants a change of life 
from the power of darkness to light. Before they call, the person must realize that the power and uh, I mean that the power and the kingdom ruling over his own life is in the control of the arch enemy, the devil. At this point, the Holy Spirit has and is still working upon the person's heart to finally believe in Christ in order to be saved. So, when the gospel is being proclaimed to the lost, the Holy Spirit acts upon that word. The Holy Spirit acts upon the gospel, working upon the hearts of the person, in order for the person to finally come to the point of saying, Now I know that I am lost. That is why Jesus told his disciples, He said, that When the comforter comes, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of, of, of sin. He will convict the world of sin. So when the gospel is preached to the lost, the Holy Spirit begins to convict them. The Holy Spirit begins to convince them as well in order for them to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But that cannot happen unless they admit that they need Jesus. That cannot happen unless they admit that they are lost in sin. That cannot happen unless they admit that they've, that they've been living in darkness and now they want the light of Jesus to shine upon them. This is very important. This is very important. Okay, so before they call, every sinner has to admit. Every sinner has to admit. Number two, before they call, before they call, the person must have repented. Before they call, the person must have repented. The person must have repented. The sinner must have repented. Repentance is not salvation. And that is where many, many believers get it wrong. Repentance is not salvation. What repentance means to a believer, it means a different thing to an unbeliever. Repentance for a believer, when a Christian falls into sin, when a Christian sins willfully or unwillingly, the person gets to confess, the, the person gets to approach God and cry out for mercy. The person gets to, you know, to talk to God and, and, and tell him, I have, I have sinned, I have fallen. I have fallen. I, I, I repent of my sins. I repent of my sins. Repentance means to turn back for the believer. He or she wants to turn back to, you know, you want to get back on track. That is repentance for the believer. For the unbeliever, repentance here means a change of mind. Okay, let's go on. When you look at the report of Luke, Dr. Luke, one of Jesus' uh, distant disciples, when you look at his report in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. Acts chapter 3, 19 to 21. I'll read from here. This basically is the words of Peter and John after the man at the beautiful gate was healed to the people, to the crowd. Now, let's consider the statement of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21. It says, Repent therefore, and turn again repent therefore and turn again that your sin may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord and that he may send the christ appointed for you jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that god spoke by the mouth of his holy prophet from of old 
Okay, so the first line here says, Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent therefore, repent therefore. The word repent, repent here means a change of mind concerning something. So, the root word for repentance in the original text of the Bible is still the same. When a Christian who has fallen into sin repents, and when a believer has to repent before making a decision to follow the law, the root word for repentance is still the same. However, the application here is different for the believer and for the unbeliever. That is what I'm talking about. The application is different. Now, consider the words of Paul, I mean the words of Peter and John to these people. Repent therefore and turn again. Repent therefore and turn again. The word turn again there is the word for converted. Repent therefore and be converted. Repent therefore and, be, and decide to turn again to follow the Lord. Now, let's go on. Let's go on. So, this word means a change of mind consigning something. It doesn't just mean to be saved yet. It doesn't just mean to be saved yet. There has to be a change of mind after the person must have admitted that he or she is a sinner and needs Jesus. If it meant salvation, Peter and John wouldn't have preached that after repentance, they needed to be converted. So, uh, I mean, repentance is not the same as conversion. If it was the same as conversion, Peter and John wouldn't have told the public, wouldn't have told the crowd, repent and be converted. Repentance means, uh, I mean, repentance is different from conversion. That is why they said repent and turn again. So before the person calls on the Lord for salvation, he or she has to repent. And I have said that repentance means a change of mind. Now you are changing your mind. You are making up your mind. You are in the process of placing your faith in Christ. You are making your mind. You are making up your mind. A sinner, a sinner might have done something wrong, you know, that makes him or her feel guilty. And the person tells himself, okay, see, uh, right now, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want to change from this. I don't want to, I don't want to commit this sin anymore. I don't want to go this way. I don't want to steal. I don't want to commit that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to take people's life anymore. He's repenting. He's changing his mind. When he does that, he's changing his mind. But it doesn't mean that he's getting saved. It doesn't mean that or he it doesn't mean that he has been saved already. So repentance for an unbeliever is a change of mind. He has to he has to have his mind changed. He has to make up his mind to want to follow the Lord. So, uh, we've talked about this. It's very important. Therefore, for salvation to take place, or before a sinner calls to the Lord for salvation, the person must have accepted and repented. The person must have accepted that he or she is a sinner, the person must have accepted that he or she is lost in sin and has been serving the course of this world. And also the person must have repented, changed his mind. 
Now I want to follow the Lord. Now I want to, I, I am ready to follow the Lord. I want to, I, I want the Lord to accept me. I want to make out my ways right before him. I want to accept the Lord. Repentance for a non-believer is a change of mind. So before, before they call, before they call, before the lost calls upon the Lord for salvation, the person must have admitted that he or she is a sinner and needs Christ. And also the person must have repented. These are very important. We uh, look into them. So now they can cry out. After all this, they can now cry out. They can now call to the Lord for salvation. And the Lord will accept them and not cast them away for any reason. The Lord will accept them. Now they know what it takes to make a firm decision to follow the Lord. After they admit that they need Jesus, after they repent, now they know what it takes to make a firm decision to follow the Lord. They now understand why the decision must be made by themselves and for themselves. Okay, at this stage, they know too well what they want, you know, and what it takes for them to have it. They know it. They, they know it. This now leads us to consider some of the rhetoric questions that Paul, the apostle, asked leading to the salvation of the lost. Leading to the salvation of the lost. What are these questions? What are these questions? In, chap in, in chapter 10, remember I said our anchor scripture is Romans chapter 9 and 10, but basically chapter 10. So chapter 9 serves as a background for what we are talking about. So now, having found out in verse 13 that for everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, in verse 14, Paul now asked a question. How can they call when they have not believed? How are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed? This is the number one chain of salvation. How are men to call upon the law? He starts that sentence with a contrast. But how are men to call upon the Lord in whom they have not believed? To believe is the sinner's part to play. To believe is the sinner's part to play. So let's consider this briefly. Paul puts a contrast here between verse 13 and 14. By the use of the word but, Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, but they cannot really be saved if they have not believed. That is what Paul is talking about. They cannot really be saved as much as Paul believe that Romans chapter 10 verse 13, everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved as much as Paul believe that this is certain, the assurance is there. It cannot really happen if the sinner does not believe. If the sinner does not believe, as little, you know, these three alphabets, but can change the whole of this, okay, from between verse 13 and 14, just but changes the whole of the sentences there. So if they cannot believe, they cannot be saved. If they cannot believe, they cannot be saved. In the chain of salvation, listen, in the chain of salvation, to believe is the second stage that leads to the person's eternal salvation. 
This is the key stage because without the lost believing in the work of Christ for them, they cannot be saved. They cannot be saved without believing in the work of Christ for them. They cannot be saved. Nobody, no sinner can be saved if the person does not believe. As much as it is written in the scripture, as much as it is written in the epistle, as much as it is written in the gospels, that everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. It cannot really take place if the person does not believe in the Lord. If the person does not believe, it cannot happen. It cannot happen. Now consider what Paul has to say about this for a moment. In verse 9, let's go back to verse 9 of Romans chapter 10. He said, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a conditional statement. If you believe, you will be saved. If you don't believe, you will not be saved. If the lost does not believe, they will not be saved. If sinners do not believe, they will not be saved. Okay? They will not be saved. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. This is the focal point of salvation. Believing is the focal point of salvation. Believing is the focal point of salvation. If a sinner does not believe, it cannot, the person cannot be saved. If a sinner does not believe, the person cannot be saved. And if the person does not believe, damnation follows. John 3 verse 18. If the person does not believe, condemnation follows. Damnation follows. Salvation cannot take place without a sinner believing in the person of Jesus. It cannot happen. Without this, even if a sinner admits his or her sin, repents, the gospel is proclaimed to them, or someone intercedes for them to be saved. If they do not believe, salvation cannot take place in their lives. And God will see to it. Now, God will see to it that it doesn't happen if they do not believe. In fact, God does not have to see to it. It just can't happen if people do not believe the gospel. That is why, that is why, you know, when you minister the gospel to the lost, God is looking at their choices. God respects their choices. God respects their decisions. If they do not believe, it is in their decision. If they believe, it is in their decision. However, if they do not believe, salvation cannot occur. Salvation cannot occur. People may be praying, the believers may be praying for them, it is good. Believers may be praying for them, it is good. You know, interceding for them to be saved, it is good. They might have repented, it is good. Remember I said repentance is a change of mind. It is good. It is good. If they admit that they are sinners, it is good. But the right thing is that they have to believe in order to be saved. They have to believe in order to be saved. God does not break protocols in the matter of salvation. The right thing has to be done. Procedures have to be followed. Processes have to be followed. The chain of salvation has to be considered. God does not break protocols on the matter of salvation. For any sinner, God does not break protocols on the matter of salvation for the lost. They have to believe before they can be saved. This is the number one chain of salvation and it is applicable anywhere in the world. Just as it was applicable in the time of the early church, 
it is still applicable today. So the question before us all, how can the lost call upon the Lord for salvation when they have not believed? Is it possible? What are there to believe? So we've been talking about believe, believe, believe and all of that. What is the sinner supposed to believe before he or she can be saved? What are the laws to believe on before they can be saved? In Romans chapter 10 verse 9 again, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing that Jesus is Lord and that the disciples didn't go to steal his body and claim that he had resurrected, believing that Jesus is Lord, and that the disciples didn't go to steal his body and lied that he resurrected, but that God himself raised him from the dead. Believing in this very thing can lead to the salvation of the person. Believing that he was humiliated, believing that Jesus was humiliated, believing that he suffered, believing that he was crucified, believing that he died, believing that he came back to life, and believing that God brought him back from the dead, believing that he is coming back again, is all encapsulated in the name of the Lord, according to what Paul said in verse 13 of Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who believe in his name will be saved. So believing in his name means believing in his works, his death, burial, and resurrection, believing in all of this, believing in Jesus, believing that he died, he came, he died, he suffered and all of that, he resurrected and he's coming back again. Believing in all of this will lead to the salvation of the lost. This is what they are to believe in. Sinners are to believe in this. If they do not believe in this, salvation cannot take place. It is, not imp it, it, it is not possible. Salvation cannot take place except they believe. To round this up, we must know that to believe is the sinner's part to play. God will not believe for them. God will not believe for the lost. The church cannot believe for the lost. No one can believe for a sinner to get saved. It is the responsibility of the person to believe in order to be saved by Christ. This is very important. This is very important. I believe that we have done justice to how can they be saved if they do not believe. I believe that we have done justice to this. Praise the Lord. So the next chain of salvation here in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, hearing and awareness, hearing and awareness, sinners part to play and also the church's part to play. So the next rhetoric question that the Apostle Paul asked here is, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? If they are to believe before they can be saved, how are they to believe when they have not heard? To make it explicit, how are sinners to believe in Jesus when they have not heard about him? How are sinners to believe in Christ when they have not heard about him by the church? How are sinners to believe in Jesus and get saved when they have not heard of him? When they have not So Paul in essence is saying that the sinners cannot believe if they have not heard the gospel. Paul is saying a sinner cannot believe if they have not heard the gospel. And that is the truth. 
They cannot believe. What are you to believe when you have not heard? Somebody has to come up to you and tell you some kind of stories before you think of believing. So you cannot just wake up overnight and say, I believe this. I believe that. I build my worldview on this. I build this. I build that and all of that. When you have not had anything, there is no information. So the, the sinners have got to believe. And if they've got to believe, what? how can they believe when they've not had the gospel? In the chain of salvation, it is required that the lost must get to hear the gospel because hearing too is important. Mostly people are formed through what they hear often. They can be controlled by what they hear too. Sometimes you, you keep on humming some, some, some songs in your mind. It is because you have dedicated time to listen to those songs. You have given time to listen to those songs. So you are human and human and human those songs. And eventually you come to realize that truly you've been listening to those songs. Okay, so people most times are formed. They form their worldview. They form their, their attitude and behavior and character from what they hear from time to time. Hearing is important when it comes to gospel matter. Hearing is very important when it comes to the matter of the gospel. In the question asked by Paul, we know that it can be foolish just to believe or even to be controlled by what one has not yet been exposed to. It could be the reading of the Bible, it could be the reading of a particular book, you know, or listening to a, a message, a sermon, a, a song or something. There has to be something that has gone into you before you believe, okay? So, no direct output of behavior and attitude without being informed. If you are not informed on a matter, it is not possible you begin to display what you have not been informed about. For the lost to be saved, they have to hear. If they, if they are to be saved, and if they must believe before they can be saved, and before they can believe, they, they must hear. The gospel must be proclaimed to them. How can people be saved without hearing the gospel? How can people be saved without hearing the gospel? The church of Christ should not expect the lost to get saved just by accident when they haven't done their work. The, no local church should expect the lost to be saved without hearing the gospel when they have not done their work. It can happen. God does not jump protocols in saving people. God does not jump protocols in the matter of salvation. The chain of salvation cannot be broken and what is appropriate has to be done. For a person to be saved, works, works, processes must have been done or put in place properly. The church who preaches may not be aware of the procedures. It's, it's okay. It's okay. However, Jesus knew this when he said in Mark chapter 16 verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to the whole creation. Go into all the world, go into all the world, wherever the lost are, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is the command of Christ. So we, we, we consider that the, the word preach as used by Jesus Christ is the word for Caruso in the original text. And this word, this word means to proclaim openly, to proclaim openly, to proclaim openly, to publish openly. 
to proclaim openly something that has been done. The church has to proclaim openly the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the gospel. If the gospel is not proclaimed to the lost, how can they believe in order for them to be saved? They have to pro so the proclamation of the gospel is not and should not be done and should and should not be a hidden mission. It is not a hidden mission. Jesus is not calling the church to hide in a corner and proclaim the gospel. Jesus is not calling the church to stay within the church building from the beginning till the end of the year and proclaim the gospel. If you want to proclaim the gospel, you've got to go out. If you want to proclaim the gospel, you've got to go be behind enemy lines. If you want to proclaim the gospel, if you want to publish the gospel, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. There has to be a going. There has to be a going. One of the men that Jesus healed, the Bible says, he went and started publishing in the whole of the place what Jesus has done to him. He didn't remain where he was. He went to publish. He went, to, in fact, he printed, he printed the whole thing and he was just publishing it. He took it that radical. So the church has to go out to publish. How can they believe if they have not heard? How can sinners be saved if they have not heard? And they are not hearing because the church is not preaching. If a sinner has not had the gospel in order to believe and to be saved, it is because the church has kept the gospel to themselves. The church is not called to keep the gospel to themselves. No local church is called to keep the gospel to herself. No believer is called to keep the gospel. The gospel is not meant to be kept. The gospel of salvation is not meant to be kept. It is meant to be published. It is meant to be taken out. It is meant to be told people. It is meant to be told people. The church should not assume the lost are saved. And the lost should not assume that they are saved without proclamation and without hearing. These two are very important, friends. We have to come to the point, to, to, to the place as a church where we take up the shield of the gospel of faith. We take it up. We take it up. People want to be, people want to be, uh, want to be saved. People want to believe in order for them to be saved. But how can they be saved? How can they believe in what they have not heard of? If Jesus is not preached to the lost, they cannot be saved. That is the bottom line. They cannot be saved. Salvation is not possible without a sinner hearing about Jesus. There are closed nations of the earth today where the, the gospel is not permissible. As a preacher, you are not permitted to enter into that nation. You cannot preach Jesus. So the people living there, somehow one or two percentage of them have come to believe in Christ because somebody has taken the risk to take the gospel to them. But a larger percentage of them are still living ignorantly. They are still living outside the information level, outside the information stage of Jesus, of the gospel. So they cannot be saved if they have not believed. They cannot believe if the gospel has not reached out to them yet. These are very important. These are very important. And then we move to the third asked by Paul the Apostle. I call this the preacher, the church's part to play. Now, the next question that Paul the Apostle asked is, and how are they to hear 
without a preacher. This is the next chain of salvation. How is the lost supposed to hear the gospel without a preacher? <laughs> How are sinners supposed to hear the gospel without the preacher? In essence, Paul is saying that unbelievers cannot hear the gospel if there is nobody to preach it to them. Unbelievers cannot hear the gospel to believe and to be saved if there is nobody, if there is not a believer to preach it to them. Having answered the previous question, the next question asked by Paul is, how can they hear? How can they lost hear without a preacher? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they hear without a preacher? Still in the same verse, verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. The word there as used in the passage is the word referring to Paul's focal point in verse 13. For everyone, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be saved. So the word there, how can they hear without a preacher? That word there is the word referring to the word used by Paul in verse 13. Everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. Now, according to the power of the gospel, this is a fact and much more the truth as seen in the epistles. The word they is also the same word as everyone that Paul has used. It implies that those who are not saved yet can be saved after they call on the Lord for salvation. Those who are not saved yet can be saved after they, after they, everyone call on the Lord for salvation. So the word has nothing to do with believers in Christ. Paul was not referring to the Christians. Paul was not referring to believers. It has nothing to do with believers in Christ. It is strictly used to describe the lost who should call on the Lord in order to be saved. So he's saying in general, how can the lost hear the words of the gospel without a preacher? That being said, let's focus on our question. How are they, that is the lost, to hear the gospel of salvation without a preacher? Can't the lost just call on the Lord for salvation and be saved? If I don't know if you've thought about this. Can't the lost just call on Jesus? Jesus, I want to be saved, you know, from, from the comfort of their room. I want you, you know it can happen. Can't the lost just just you know? Can't someone just call on the Lord from anywhere in the world and be saved without a preacher? Must a preacher go to them? Must a preacher go to them before they can be saved? And you know, that reminds me of what happened in Acts chapter 16, verse 9 to 10. Acts chapter 16, verse 9 to 10. I'm not going to read it, but let me just give us a background information of what happened there. You know, uh, Paul had a dream. Paul had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a man calling out to him to come and help them. Come and help them. Come and help them. So, Paul now interpreted the dream as the Lord wanting him to go down to Macedonia in order to preach the gospel to them. So, I also asked, if, if the people knew that they needed help basically to be saved, why wouldn't just there, you know, call upon the Lord and be saved? After all, we've seen it from verse 13. 
that any, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't need a preacher. Do you need a preacher in order to be saved? You can, they, they could have just called in order to be saved. And also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I am reminded of what Paul said here. He said, referring to the unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness or the image of God. Did you get this? Let me read it again. In their case, that is in the case of the unbelievers, the God that is the devil, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. So basically, I can tell you, this is one of the major reasons why the lost cannot just be seated, you know, be seated comfortably in the comfort of their homes and just call upon God. I want to be saved. Salvation come to me. I want to be saved. I want to believe in Jesus. Now I want to, I want to place my faith in Christ. Because the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot think properly. They cannot, they cannot articulate properly. They, they don't know what they need. They cannot figure out what they need. They don't know. They don't understand. Their mind has been darkened. Their mind has been blinded. They don't know. They don't understand. They are lost in the world. They are lost in the dark. They need the people to reach out to them before they can see and know that this is what they need. So this is one of the major reasons why the lost cannot on their own begin to call on the Lord, except a preacher goes to them. And why would the preacher go to them? Why would the preacher go to them? Their minds, they, that is the minds of the unbelievers, listen carefully, the minds of the unbelievers have been blinded and they cannot think right. Even the needs of a savior, is, it doesn't occur to them, they cannot think right. And again, in another place, Paul still writes, for the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 So, to, to the people of the world, to the lost, the proclamation of the gospel is foolishness to them. To us who are being saved, that is to the church, it is the power of God. We that have the power of God, that have been set free from a darkened mind, can now take the gospel to those who are still living there. Because Jesus himself said this, Jesus himself said this, that the blind cannot lead the blind. The blind cannot lead the blind. Their fellow lost people cannot lead them to Jesus. Because them too are blind, they have a blinded mindset. They cannot think straight. They cannot understand. They don't know what they need. Jesus has to send somebody to them that will bring them out of that darkness. And the people that have to be sent to them are the church, the church, because their minds are not darkened anymore. The mind of the church is lighted up. The mind of the church is lighted up. They know what is good for these people. They know, they know what is good for these people and how to take it to them. And how to take it to them. In other words, it is foolishness for an unbeliever to want to think that he or she is in need of the word of the cross because their minds have become blinded and darkened. The gospel won't make sense to them yet until the veil 
is taken away by the proclamation of the gospel. Because of the veil that is on them already, you know, because of this veil, they cannot see properly. They, they, are, they are kept in the dark by the God of this world. It is those whom God, whom Jesus has brought out of that darkness, who can now see clearly that these people need to be saved. It is those people that can take the gospel to them. Remember the question we are dealing with. How are they to hear without a preacher? Don't forget that. How are they to hear without a preacher? Okay. So no matter how amazing the gospel of Christ may be, unless lost souls are told the truth about sin and salvation. Let me take this again. Listen carefully. No matter how amazing the gospel of Christ may be, no matter how inviting the gospel of Christ may be, unless lost souls are told the truth about sin and salvation, unless the gospel of grace is proclaimed universally, men and women, boys and girls, rich and poor alike, will remain dead in their trespasses and in their sins. How can they hear without a preacher, no matter how amazing the gospel of Christ is within that local church, unless the souls, the, the lost souls are told about the truth of salvation and sin, unless the gospel of grace is proclaimed to them by the church. The church is the preacher. Unless the gospel of truth is proclaimed to the lost, unless the gospel of truth is proclaimed to the lost, they will remain dead in their trespasses. They will remain dead in their trespasses. Not everyone in the church may be called into the office of, of the evangelist. Mm -hmm. Not everyone in the church may be called into the office of the evangelist or a preacher, but everyone saved and redeemed by God has a part to play by being a light to those who sit in darkness and God's witnesses to those who are lost in their sins. You may not be called into the office of the evangelist. You may not be ordained as a preacher in a local church. You may not be, you may not be ordained as a reverend. You may not be ordained as, as an apostle, as a prophet, as a teacher, as a pastor, as an evangelist. As long as you have come to believe in Jesus, as long as the light of the cross has shone to you, as long as you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, you have the responsibility to take the gospel to them. You are the preacher that Paul is referring to in, in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. How can they hear without you a preacher? You are a preacher. You are the preacher that Paul is referring to. You are the preacher. You have to take the gospel to them because you have been introduced to this gospel. The gospel has saved you because you believed. Somebody preached it to you and you believed. You have to now take it to them. You have to now take it to them. So that leads me to what I call the preacher's duty. The preacher's duty. Paul, having gone through all of this thoughtfully, now asks a question. How are they to hear without a preacher? It is simple. It takes someone whose mind is not blinded or darkened to reach out to someone whose mind is blinded and darkened in order to have the gospel preached to the person so that he or she may be saved. That is what it takes. 
That is what it takes for an unbeliever to hear the gospel. Someone who doesn't have a, a darkened mindset, a blinded mindset, to tell somebody whose mind is darkened in order for the person to be saved. In order for the person to be saved. Even Christ says a blind man cannot lead the blind. In Luke 6.39, okay, so who will Christ now appoint to preach the gospel to the lost since they are all blind? The preacher here, like I have said, signifies the church. God's redeemed people. They called out people. The preacher here signifies the church. The preacher that Paul is referring to in verse 14 is the church. So we cannot put the, state, the, the, the rhetoric question this way. How can the unbelievers hear without the church preaching the gospel to them? What then does the preacher do to bring God's salvation plan into play? They have to proclaim. They have to proclaim. They have to preach. They have to publish loud and clear the message of God to the nations beginning from where they are. They have to publish. There is no hiding in this. They have to publish. There is no complaining about who is eloquent or who is not eloquent. The work has to be done because there is no way through which man must be saved. You have to take the gospel to them. The preacher is called and qualified by the caller to a group of people who need to get saved. There, that is the preacher, must consider themselves able for this tax. Else, there would be hesitation about the assignment. The church has to consider herself able for this tax. God has called. He has qualified. The church has to go with the gospel. And we have to know that being sent is not a guarantee to preach. If God has sent the church to preach, it is not a guarantee that they will preach. Why did I say so? In the chain of salvation, the preacher is very important as without the preaching, salvation may not take place. In all of this series of questions, Paul is showing in part how necessary his work and the work of the entire church in preaching about Jesus really are. But we have to know that being sent to preach the gospel does not authenticate the mission just yet. The preacher must take it to uh, the preacher must take it up and run with it. The church must deliberately get involved in doing the task wholeheartedly. A silent gospel and a hidden witness will not minister to those in the valley of decision. If a preacher has been commissioned, let's say in our present day, people are called ordained as a reverend, ordained as a bishop, ordained as a pope and all of that. You know, being ordained as a reverend does not authenticate you preaching the gospel. It does not, it does not authenticate you going out to, to reach people. You still have to go. You still have to do it deliberately. Being called as a church, being sent as a church does not authenticate you to preach the gospel. So it is still within the, the will of the church. It is still within the, the decision making of the church. It is still within the decision making of the church. Okay, so as much as people need to be saved, as much as the preacher or the church is sent, if the gospel is kept from the lost by the same church that has been sent by Christ, then they are lost indeed. Oh, that is very pathetic. That is very pathetic. The church that has been called and sent to the lost is keeping the gospel from them. 
then it means that the lost will be lost indeed. That is very sad. That is very sad. No church has been called to remain in a corner. No church has been, no local church. It doesn't matter where, where, whether you have a, a vision of evangelism or discipleship or whatsoever. As long as you, you are named after Christ as a church, it now becomes your sole responsibility to take the gospel to the lost. No church is called to remain in a corner. You cannot remain in a corner. You cannot remain in... The, the proclamation of the gospel is offensive. You cannot remain in a corner. You, you don't keep on defending yourself. You have to... It is a battle that we must fight. It is a battle that we must take it to them. It is a battle that must be taken to them. This is very important. So, a silent gospel and a hidden witness will not minister to those in the valley of decision. It will not. If the gospel is kept from the lost by the same church that has been sent by Christ, then they are lost indeed. As Paul said, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 4.3 If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. Why would the gospel be veiled? Why would the church keep the gospel to herself? The gospel of salvation is, is meant for the lost. The church has to take it to them. So it is not just veiled to those who are perishing, but it is veiled to them by the church that has been sent to them. That is a pathetic situation. May we not be the kind of church responsible for the lost not being saved. This is my prayer. May I not, as a believer, be responsible for somebody not being saved. I have the gospel. I have the. I, I have been sent. I have been commissioned. I have the gospel of salvation in my hand, and I am sitting on it in the comfort of my room, enjoying myself, just just feeling comfortable. And people are perishing as a result of this gospel not being taken to them. Any local church that is doing that, that church is not doing right. That church is not doing right. You have to repent. You have to repent. The gospel is meant for the lost. We've got to take it to them ASAP. We've got to take it to them. So it, it, it is. It, it, it doesn't just. God doesn't just give us the gospel in order for us to sit on it. For the chain of salvation to be complete, the church must consider and also shoulder the responsibility to take it to them as soon as possible. This is the part of the church to play. God has done the calling and the sending. The church has been called and sent. She must now obey and live the life. Now we know that there are lost people out there. Even in the church, there are lost people. The chain of salvation says that someone must be called to undertake this task. As Paul would ask, how can they hear without a preacher? <clears throat> Excuse me. Someone must be called to undertake this task. Someone must be called to take this gospel to them. How can it happen if the church is sitting on it? How shocking to know that except the gospel is proclaimed to a world of lost people, they will neither hear the truth nor be able to call out to the only one who can save them from their sins and a lost eternity. But how will they hear without a preacher? Truth is the can't. A blind man cannot lead himself except someone who sees put him through. A blind man cannot lead himself. 
You've got salvation. You've got the sight. You can do this. You've got salvation. You can do this. As a believer, you can do this. As a church, you can do this. As a local church, you can do this. God is counting on you. God is counting on me. God is counting on us. We can do this. People will hear the gospel if we go to them. If we go to them, okay? If we go to them. So, the last question that Paul asked here, I titled it, Called to Preach. Called to Preach, God's Part to Play. Remember in my introduction, I started by saying that God, the church, and sinners, that is the lost, have their part to play in the chain of salvation. They have their part to play in the chain of salvation. So, uh, so far so good, I've been talking about the part of the lost to play, talking about the part of the church to play. Now I'm going to be talking about the part of God to play in the chain of salvation. The part of God to play in the chain of salvation. The part of God to play in the chain of salvation. And the question that Paul asked here is, and how can men preach unless they are sent? This is very vital. How can the church preach the gospel unless they are sent? How can the church Tell the lost people about Christ unless they are sent. Is it possible? We will be looking at this. So, in the salvation plan of God for humanity, there has to be a medium through which that plan must come into play. So, when we think about this, we may want to ask, who is called to proclaim the gospel? Who is called to proclaim the gospel? Remember the episode that I talked about who is to evangelize? Who should evangelize? Who should tell people about the gospel? Okay, so it's still in line with, 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 with what is here. You, you, you may go and listen to that episode. Who should preach the gospel? Who should preach the gospel? God is not biased about it when he makes his choice. It is not about who is capable enough or who is qualified enough or who is eloquent enough or who is materially rich enough, who is wealthy enough. It is about whom God calls and qualifies. It is about whom God calls and justifies by declaring not guilty. It is about whom God calls, qualifies, and justifies by declaring not guilty. Someone or a group of people who will build the bridge between God and man. What do you think? Someone who can bridge the gap there is a broken gap. There is the, the, the part of the bridge that is broken. God is calling a group of people that we, that we fix it together in order to bring the lost to Jesus. Okay, so let's take a moment to consider the question, how can men preach? How can the church preach unless they are sent? Who goes for an errand unless they are sent? Is it possible? Does it happen? Can someone just start up a journey from the north to the south, you know, and he claims he wants to deliver a message when he has not been sent? Okay, so how can it just happen? Why would someone, why would someone want to embark on an unjust course or unjust mission, a mission that is not profitable? In this question alone, we find two important words. In the last question that Paul asked, how can men preach unless they are sent? Okay, we find two important words, sent and preach, sent and preach. Did you know that preaching is not done until the one who preaches is sent? Did you know that preaching is not done until the church who preaches the gospel is sent? 
Yes, the early church did not send themselves. In church history, church fathers did not send themselves. You know, those who stood to fight for the faith of the gospel, they did not send themselves. At some point, they were sent. They knew they were sent. And they fought for the faith of the gospel. So the early church did not do, uh, I mean, they, they did not send themselves to reach out to people. Someone sent them and they simply obeyed. So we want to consider briefly the person who sent them to preach and the message that he gave to them to preach as we round up the chain of salvation. So the word sent as Paul used in, in verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, the word sent there is the word for apostolo. It means to order, to order or to command one to go to a place appointed. Apostolo, to order or to command one to go to a place appointed. The one who does the sending is Christ. As we see in Mark's gospel, and he said to them, that is Christ, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. The words of Christ we can see clearly already that he gave the disciples a direct instruction to reach out to the unreached people in every nation. God in his wisdom and choice decided to call a group of people. These people, we call them the church. In his address to them, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. From this verse, we know that the gospel is the message and plan of God to save everyone. The gospel is the message and plan of God to save everyone. The question is, will everyone be saved? That is a topic for another episode. Will everyone, as much as God has a plan to save everyone, will everyone truly be saved? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Romans 1.16 The gospel is the power of God to salvation. The church has been called to undertake this task till the end of the world. In case you may be asking for how long will I keep on preaching the gospel? For how long will I keep on doing this and doing that? Will I, for, for how long will I keep on discipling people till the end of the world? In God's wisdom, no group of people or individual can do this better than the church. That is the wisdom of God. I, I say that again, no group of people or individuals can do this work better than the church. It just has to be the church. It has to be the church. This is God's part to play as no one can choose himself or herself but must be appointed by God. The church did not choose herself as a church. A group of people did not just uh, station themselves somewhere and said, we are the church. No they must have been redeemed by Jesus. They must have been called by Jesus. They must have seen the light. They must, they, their mind, their darkened mind must have seen the light of God that led to the salvation of their lives. Therefore, in general, the church has received a divine call from Christ to reach people with the gospel. Jesus is the sender and instructor, and the church has been called out to worship him through the proclamation of this very gospel of salvation. She couldn't have sent herself. God had to do that. That was God's part to play in the order of salvation. That, that was God's part to play. Furthermore, in the epistle of 
the apostle Paul, we find the word preach as used in Romans 10, 15. The word preach there is the word for keruso in the original text. It means to publish, proclaim openly something that has been done. Also, it is the word for herald, someone officially sent with a message. While there is a sender, there is a herald. While there is a sender, there is somebody who has been ordered to go. There is the church who proclaims what has been done. There is the church who proclaims the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, but we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 1.23 by Paul. He said, we preach Jesus crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Those are the words of Paul. This is the message the church has got to run with. Preaching Christ crucified and resurrected. This is the message. This is what has been done by Christ for the world. She has been sent by Christ to proclaim the words of the gospel of salvation to the lost. Okay. So, to finally answer this question, how can men preach unless they are sent? In verse 15 of Romans chapter 10, how can men preach unless they are sent? You know, simply put, Many believers do not preach the gospel because they at some point feel they are not sent. Okay? Many believers do not preach the gospel because somehow they feel they are not sent. They feel the tax is meant for the pastors and other church leaders alone. It doesn't just occur to them that they are part of those who have been called to reach people for Christ. The whole church is on an errand mission to the lost. Everyone that thinks, everyone who thinks that the tax is meant for the pastors or the reverends alone, the whole church is on an errand mission to the lost. Anyone saved and brought into the family of believers is automatically enlisted into the mission. Okay? Every local church has been sent by Christ, so she shouldn't feel at any time she needs a special call from God before she can do the work. Nobody should feel, I, I need a special call. I, I, need, I need a revelation. I need a vision. I need to see something. I need to have a striking revelation from the Bible. I, I need to hear God telling me, Sam, it's time. Go and reach people. No, 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 no. That you are saved, it authenticates your work. It brings your work to the table. It, brings, it makes the mission plain to the table that you are sent, it makes the mission clear to you already, okay? It makes it clear. No single believer should think he or she needs a special call or a special revelation from the Lord before undertaking the task of reaching people with the gospel. Nobody should think that. To be realistic, no believer preaches what he or she has not been sent on, okay? But come to think of it, there is no believer there is no believer and there is no local church named after and begotten by Christ that has not been called. Everyone in Christ has been called. Every new creation man in Christ has been called to preach the gospel to the lost. Paul also commands by the Spirit of the Lord. Listen to what Paul says. His command to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. As for you, always be steady. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. So, in summary to all I've been talking about, others may complain about the work, but as for you, do the work. 
Others may complain they've not received the special revelation from the Lord. Others may complain they've not seen, uh, you know, a striking lightning or something. People may complain they, they've not been called. They've not, they've not had the Holy Spirit telling them, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. It is called fulfilling your ministry. It is the ministry of every believer in Christ to proclaim the gospel to all. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is the ministry of every believer in Christ to proclaim the gospel to all. When we do this, we are playing our part as the church. God is doing his and the lost too are doing their own. With this, the chain of salvation is complete and God is glorified. When you want to think about the words of Matthew Lloyd, he said, if a man is saved, it is because God has saved him. How has God saved him? At some point, he admitted that he was a sinner. At some point, he got repented. At some point, the church went to preach the gospel to him. At some point, he believed the gospel and he got saved. He got saved. But if a man is lost, that is to be attributed to his own rejection of the gospel and his own rebellion against God's way of salvation. He is lost. He is lost. He cannot be a blame to God. God should not be blamed for those who are lost. God should not be blamed for people that are lost. The church should not be blamed either when they have gone to preach the gospel to them. Everyone has got his role to play. God has his role to play. The church has her role to play. And sinners have their role to play. So Paul, beginning from verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, For everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. And then in verse 14, he said, But how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? You know, so God is calling the church to undertake this task. The chain of salvation says there are processes that must be put in place before a, a sinner finally gets to say, I believe in Christ. Now I want to be saved. Salvation doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen overnight. At some point, people must have come to believe. Someone must have gone to teach them, to preach the gospel to them. And they went because they were sent. And it is the church that has been sent to undertake these tasks. I hope you have been blessed by this episode. And I believe that many more are still coming. Well, there are still many episodes that are coming on board. Okay, so I want to encourage you to keep on following. I want to encourage you to listen to other episodes that have been uploaded to the YouTube channel. And please, if you have not subscribed, subscribe and hit the notification bell so that we will keep you informed and keep in touch with you for every of our contents that we upload. I pray that the Lord will bless you 
in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Father, for teaching us today the chain of salvation. Help us to play our part, even as you have played your part in calling and sending us as the church to the lost. Help us to play our part and help the lost to play their part as well. I pray, Father, that you help us, that this work we go further in the name of Jesus. Guide us and lead us to the glory and honor of your name. I thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope to see you next time on a different topic. Meanwhile, for now, please do well to check for the other episodes that have been uploaded. And God bless you. Try as much as you can to share this episode. God bless you and bye for now.